So, so far we've covered quite a bit of ground theologically in this series. We started off talking about the Trinity, the fact that God is love, and He is love specifically because He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, existing eternally in a relationship of love. In week two, we talked about the incarnation and the fact that in Jesus, you have one person who has two natures. He is fully God and fully man, united in one person without confusion. Then in week three, we talked about morality and ethics and the fact that the only unchanging, stable foundation for our beliefs about what is right and what is wrong are found in the very nature of God himself. In week four, we talked about what it means for humanity to be made in the image of God, to bear God's image, and how the intention is for us to be angled mirrors by which the rest of creation looks at us and gets a reflection of what God is like. And finally, last week, we talked about salvation and the fact that the salvation we receive is a multifaceted thing. It's one event experienced by the Christian, something that God does in our lives. And yet, even though it's one event, it's experienced from a variety of different dimensions and in a variety of different ways. And specifically, Isaac talked about the fact that there are various whens, various tenses and times in which salvation is experienced. Paul says, for example, that we have been saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. And so today, we're going to really zoom in and focus on that present tense element of salvation, the day-to-day process by which we are being saved. Now, you might immediately ask, what does it mean for us to be being saved in the present tense? It starts to sound a little troubling. I mean, haven't we already been saved from our sins in the past? I mean, what work is left to be done? Isn't this starting to kind of sound a little bit like works righteousness? And the reason why Christians typically have a hard time with this is because for too many of us, salvation has been reduced down to how to get to heaven when we die. And if the only point of salvation is to get us into heaven after our death, then yeah, there's like not really much left to be done here on earth, right? I mean, we're saved. We're going to go to heaven. We might as well just sit back and relax and wait to either die or have Jesus return. Now, the problem with that is that the Bible makes it very, very clear that God is not just concerned about what happens when you die. He is very invested in what takes place during your life here on earth. He is invested in it, he cares about it, and it matters. And so for the Christian, for all of Christian history, there has been this understanding that salvation is experienced in an ongoing way in the life of the Christian. And it's a process that we call sanctification. It is the present tense, ongoing work by which God is gradually transforming you and saving you from the power of sin in your life. Now, before we even start to unpack what this word means, it's really important that we not lose sight of the past tense reality of salvation. This is what we call justification. And justification means that at the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are declared to be righteous because of Jesus's finished work. So even though you are guilty of sin, even though you have been alienated from God because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, you are declared to be righteous. You will not suffer the penalty of your sins. You are saved. And this is a past tense event. Now, this is, of course, wonderful good news. The problem is, if you look at your actual life, even though you've been declared to be righteous by God, you don't necessarily see a whole lot of perfect righteousness, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, I still see a lot of elements of sin that are hanging around. I still see imperfections. I still have struggles. And so my day-to-day life doesn't necessarily look 
like this righteousness that I know I have in Christ. And so this is where the idea of sanctification comes in. It's the process by which we are being moved from our actual current state of behavior to be closer and closer to the state that we've been declared to be, to the position we have in Jesus. It's the slow and gradual closing of the gap between our current behavior and who we have been declared to be. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at this idea of trying to move from unrighteousness and sin towards righteousness, I know that if that's up to me, then I'm in a lot of trouble. That's not something that I've had a lot of success in in my life. Have you ever tried to just be a good person under your own strength? So the first question we have to answer is, whose job is it to accomplish this, mine or God's? Sometimes the Bible talks about it in a way that puts all the emphasis on God. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And this is very comforting. But then in his letter to the Colossians, Paul makes it sound like all of the emphasis is on you. In Colossians 3.5, he tells Christians to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then goes on to list a whole host of sinful behaviors and attitudes that sincere Christians still struggle with. Now, helpfully, Paul writes another passage on sanctification that sheds some light on this tension. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So in this passage, Paul presents sanctification as this collaborative work between a gracious, all-powerful God and the saved Christian. I mean, what it feels like on the ground day in and day out for Paul is like hard work, like doing the obedient thing, like working harder than everybody around him. But he recognizes at the same time that just like justification, sanctification only happens by the grace and mercy and power of God. If it's up to you to change, you're not going to change. Now, C.S. Lewis, in one of his fictional books, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of the books in the Narnia series, he presents an incredibly powerful image of God's dominant role in this process. In the story, there's this selfish and unlikable boy named Eustace. And because of the great greed that's in his heart, he is transformed at one point into a dragon. He tries to steal a dragon's gold all for himself. And all of a sudden, it's like the sin and greed and evil on the inside of him is manifested on the outside. And now he is a miserable dragon. And he's filled with pain. He desperately longs to transform back into a human being, but he can't figure out a way to do that. And as he's lying and weeping, desperate to be human again, he's approached by the great lion Aslan, who in all of the Narnia books represents the person of Jesus. And the great lion comes to him and tells him, if you want to be human again, you have to undress yourself of these dragon scales. And so Eustace tries. He takes his claws and he starts scraping. And as he scrapes, all of the scales start to fall off of him, but it's not enough. So he takes his claws and he digs into the skin and he's actually able to rip an entire layer of the dragon skin off and step out of it almost like a costume. But as soon as he looks down at himself, he sees that his skin has already returned to the scaly, hard skin of a dragon. So he does it again and the same thing happens. And he does it again and the same thing happens until finally the great lion Aslan tells him, you're going to have to let me do it for you. And so Eustace looks at Aslan and sees his great, terrible claws, and he's filled with fear. But finally, he lies down and agrees to let Aslan take the dragon skin 
off. And these are the words that Eustace speaks when he talks about the experience of Aslan removing the dragon skin from him. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. Now, this is a typically beautiful and poignant illustration by Lewis. I mean, Eustace is desperate to have his nature change, but it's not something he can do on his own. He tries and tries, and he remains a dragon. It requires that the great lion Aslan step in and do the impossible. But Eustace isn't just a passive recipient of this. He has to lie down and submit to Aslan. He has to cooperate with the lion in order to see himself changed. He has to endure the pain of having his old nature stripped away. Along similar lines, Lewis says in Mere Christianity, If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. So it is in a very real sense, an entire overhauling of your very nature. And having your very nature changed is something that is far too much for us to handle on our own. So that image of the dragon and the lion is accurate, but it is compressed. Having your old dragon self taken away is not something that happens all in one situation the way it is in the story. It's something that's gradual, that takes place over the course of the rest of your life after you meet Jesus. And like Paul said, what it feels like on the ground, on the day-to-day -day basis, is like the hard work of obedience, like making the difficult right choice more and more frequently, like choosing to do the things that Jesus has commanded and to not do the things that he has commanded us not to do. It feels like submitting to the God who was promised to complete a good work in us. But at the same time, it's doing all of these things with the constant present knowledge that if it was not for the power and grace of God in your life, you would never be able to do any of it. It's a daily act. And I say daily because that's the way that Paul describes it. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is sanctification. It's the process by which we are, as Paul said, being renewed. And Paul says this is something that happens day to day. And the reason that it happens day to day is because, as John Piper says, we have a leaky bucket. The Old Testament says that God's mercies are new every morning. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. New trouble every day, and every day new mercies with which to meet them. See, the image of having a leaky bucket on the surface sounds really discouraging, but it doesn't have to be. See, if you see your leaky bucket as an opportunity to remember that you have a dependence upon the grace and mercy of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in order for sanctification to take place, then it's actually a powerfully encouraging image. God wants us to return leaky bucket in hand to the bottomless well of his grace and restorative power so that we can continue to be reshaped closer and closer to the perfect image we see in Christ. Our bucket may leak, but we have a never-ending source of renewal from which to fill it, and that keeps us consistently dependent upon and connected to the one who makes sanctification possible in the first place. Now, why does this matter? It matters, first of all, because it forces us to confront one of our culture's most valued and cherished beliefs. 
We have this belief in our society that everyone should feel exactly okay with how they are right now. We want to say things like, I am who I am. I am exactly the way that I am. And if you want to love me, you have to accept me just like this. Don't ever let anyone ask you to change. And that sounds like a nice positive thing on the surface, but if you think about it for more than five seconds, you'll realize that it's actually terrible news. I mean, it's just another way of saying, I can't change. I'm stuck this way. I will forever be exactly how I am right now. And here's the thing, um, on the surface, that's actually true. If you are on your own, under your own power, you can't change, you're a dragon. And no amount of scraping, no amount of pulling or scratching is going to take off that dragon skin. You can't do it on your own. But the good news of Christianity is that you are not on your own. If you're a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Christ, then you are in Him. You have already been declared to be righteous. And so what God is asking of you is actually the same thing that our society wants to say, but with a totally different feel. See, God is saying, be who you are, and who you are is righteous in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when you are born again in Christ, he calls you to be who you have been declared to be, not who you were before. That person has died and you have been made alive, a new creation. So once again, God is telling you exactly what the world wants to tell you. Be who you are. But who you are now is a new creation in Christ. The dragon skin has been removed and you are free to be who you have been declared to be. Now, of course, there are massive ups and downs along this journey of sanctification. But the general trend in the life of the Christian is always upwards towards greater and greater godliness and holiness and obedience. And so you could talk to just about anyone who's been a Christian for a really long time and they'll tell you the same thing that I would tell you about myself. Yes, of course, there are still sins that I wrestle with. There are still areas of disobedience that I struggle with. But if I look at my life five years ago, if I look at my life 10 years ago, I'll have memories of acts of disobedience that I couldn't imagine doing anymore. I'll have memories of struggles that have simply faded over time, memories of fears and anxieties that used to dominate my life and attention and which gradually have lost hold of me as I've come to trust my king more and more. So the trajectory is always upwards and it may be two steps forward and one step back for you, but the expectation is that empowered by the Holy Spirit, the general movement is always up. And the other important thing to remember is that this process doesn't look the same for every single person. We have different lives, we have different upbringings, different personalities. And so for every single one of us, the distance between where we start out when we meet Jesus and where, the, and where we have to go to match our kind of declared righteous state could be massive. I mean, some of us have had such incredibly difficult upbringings, have had such problems just with our temperament and our relationships that we're starting at a much lower place than someone else. And so we have to learn to be patient both with ourselves and with others and to recognize that it is the direction of the movement that matters more than where you start. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity has this to say about being patient with one another. That's not really what it's about. If you are a poor creature, Poisoned by a wretched upbringing in some house full of vulgar jealousies and senseless quarrels, saddled by no choice of your own with some loathsome sexual perversion, 
Nagged day in and day out by an inferiority complex that makes you snap at your best friends, do not despair. He knows all about it. You are one of the poor whom he blessed. He knows what a wretched machine you are trying to drive. Keep on, do what you can. He knows what a wretched machine you are trying to drive. So wherever you are at on this journey, keep going and go in the confident knowledge that the one who began this work in you will finish it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, maybe not during your time on this earth, but our God finishes what he started and he is not done with you yet. And if you're a Christian, then know that because of your trust in Jesus, wherever you're at in your life, spiritually, you are already here. You are safe in the family of God. It's just as the author of Hebrews says, he has already perfected those who are being sanctified.